On this episode of The Modern Medic, we're going to talk about our new smart treatment algorithm. Hello and welcome back to the podcast. I'm your host, Jeremy Holder, founder and managing director of TACMED Australia. Today, we're going to talk about our new smart treatment methodology or assessment, primary survey, whatever you want to, uh, uh, however you want to call it. Now, if you've uh, listened to our podcast before, you'll remember back in episode four, we talked about the March treatment algorithm or March primary assessment, which is one that's uh, stemmed from uh, military backgrounds and has made its way into pre-hospital care uh, around the world. Um, I think Queensland Ambulance might be using it. I know New South Wales is just about to implement it into their trauma treatment uh, processes. So I won't steal too much of that thunder. If you want to go back to episode four after this, have a listen to that podcast where I talk about March primary assessment and you'll see a lot of similarities between what we are going to talk about with our new smart treatment algorithm. So firstly, I want to talk to why we developed this and uh, as we go through it, you, you will notice there is a lot of similarities between SMART and MARCH and, uh, and it's not a coincidence. So to give you a little bit of background, TACMED, our, our training and equipment company, we currently train around about 1,500 to 2,000 predominantly non-medical people every year. Now that training is generally a, a mix between uh, you know, trauma and trauma first aid uh, but we also cover CPR, and a lot of the training we do is accredited under the Australian National uh, National Training Framework. So we have to uh, teach a certain amount of uh, a certain amount of things under that. So, for instance, for CPR, we have to teach the DRS ABCD uh, mnemonic when we talk about the uh, the CPR. Uh, a lot of our training is quite short in duration as well. So we generally, our average course is around about two days, although we do deliver a number of one-day courses. But our longest course is generally five days uh, in duration. So with that, as I said, it's mainly non-medical people, so they don't have any medical background. We're sort of getting them fresh, either it's their first time they've ever done a, a trauma first aid course or it's um, maybe they've only done a couple of refreshes or courses over the years. So they're non-medical. So because of this short duration and non-medical, we find that we have a lot of dramas having uh, them comprehend going through the nationally accredited DRS ABCD or ABCD for CPR and then would teach them trauma and then would teach them the March mnemonic. Now this would cause a lot of confusion. You remember we've just changed one thing where all right, you've got to switch that off and we're now going to talk about trauma and teach you another mnemonic in a short period of time. So there's a lot of confusions and some difficulty in the education of these non-medical people. So over the years, the last 10 years, we've uh, obviously taken our experiences as a, as a training company, but then we've also mixed that in with our sort of, you know, our team's decades worth of experience, um, both in special operations medicine and obviously in pre-hospital care on the ambulance. And we come up with a solution uh, called SmartAid. Now, SmartAid in TACMED is, is far more than the mnemonic we're talking about now. It's a complete system and initiative for high-risk organisations and workplaces. 
it takes into account not just the treatment algorithm I'm going to talk about now, but it, it's going to, you know, we, we delve right into the planning uh, equipment uh, and testing of those capabilities. So it, it goes far deeper than what I'm going to talk about today, but I'm just going to talk about the mnemonic for you. I know a lot of you are uh, first responders, medics, paramedics, um, and do sort of more advanced patient care. So I'm going to talk about the algorithm, not so much our system for workplaces. So our TACMED Smart combines that traditional first aid and CPR tra treatment methods that most of you know, like, as I said, the doctor's ABCDE, and we mix that with the proven military trauma survey march, which is the massive hemorrhage, airway, respirations, circulation, hypothermia, and head injury. So we've come up with SMART, and it's, again, similar to March. It's really focused on treating the preventable causes of death. And when we keep that simple, um, Stu from the UK, as he come up with it, it's about stop the, it's stopping the bleeding and keeping them breathing. Okay, so it's really quite simple. Now, whilst I'll talk about it in quite simple terms, SMART, um, it is a scalable mnemonic. So you can use... Um, this if you're a more advanced provider and I'll talk about that um, as we go. So SMART stands for, uh, again it's a mnemonic, uh, as you know most people in uh, certainly military circles love a good mnemonic. So we talk about the scene safety and security for S, massive bleeding, airways, respirations and resuscitation and our T's are our trauma, temperature and transport. So when we kick off our SMART primary assessment, it's important that we know that whether it's March, SMART, or even if you use a, a version of the, the doctor's ABCDE, it's a primary assessment and it should be a core skill of first responders. It's a framework and a process that we want to systematically find and treat, as I said, those preventable causes of death and it's a treat-as-you-find approach, so it's not something we go through and we search for those massive bleeds, the airways, respirations, resuscitation and traumas, try to make a little list in our back of our mind and then go back and treat them. The idea is the mnemonic and the algorithm is in the order of things that will kill that patient first. So that's why we treat as you find. And a lot of people, you know, I know I've had conversations with people before um, or chatting with people on social media when I say this. And, and um, but, you know, you'd be surprised by how many people um, are confused as whether you are just using it as an assessment and then treatment tool or an assessment and treatment tool all at once, if that makes sense. So a lot of people don't know. It is, you treat it as you find so, um, and as I said, our smart system we've designed as a scalable system. So, for the T's, if you're a uh, more advanced provider, then we would say you can also add in their therapeutics for some of for your medications and whatnot, uh, pain relief, analgesia, any other um, sort of medications you would give in the pre-hospital scene. Same with airways. It's a it's a scalable approach. So if you can do more than an oral, you know, OPA, oropharyngeal airway or an MPA, if you can intubate or you can do LMAs, eye gels, then you would do that in airway. Again, it's scalable to your qualifications and your experience. As I said though, predominantly we've, uh, we've designed this for essentially your lay, lay person. Alright, so I want to delve into scene safety 
and security. One of the big reasons we added this to our treatment algorithm is that we worked, you know, our history and and most of, you know, a lot of the clients that we deal deal with, like generally we did we do a lot with police, and they have uh, obviously a tough job to do. They work in a very high threat, high risk environment. They're responding to a lot of things a lot of people run away from. They run into, you know, they're carrying firearms. Uh, and they're and they're dealing with nasty people, so they have some environmental and scene safety and security issues uh, that they need to deal with. On top of that, when you look at workplace first aid, if you have a forklift that's rolled over, or you're involved in a motor vehicle accident, it doesn't really change. Your safety is absolutely paramount. The other thing with our scene safety and security is that uh, it's not a tick and flick. So you don't then sort of mitigate those risks or mitigate that danger, tick it and then move through thinking. Ours is very dynamic and you keep coming back to your scene safety and security throughout your treatment algorithm. Very important that we keep um, keep uh, an eye on the, the scene safety. And we talk about that as situational awareness and then your situational response. And I'll probably do another podcast on this subject uh, as I think it's something that we're really passionate about uh, here at TACMED for that SASR. But uh, it's really important, as I said, to secure that scene from any threats or hazards, whether that's humans, chemicals, traffic, anything that you may see that can cause uh, injury, further injury to the, the casualty or could injure yourself or any of the other bystanders. It's really important that scene safety and security is also about communication, you know, calling for backup, calling for extra resources, whether it's fire rescue, it's for needing police, um, anything like that. We want to make sure we have good communication. And that could be anything. That could be sending a ethane report or a methane report uh, back if you're working on road as a paramedic or whatnot. And we're also looking uh, scene safety and security as considering moving our casualties to a safe location. You know, a lot of the time, for those of you who uh, maybe in, uh, at that first aid level, a lot of people harp on about you need to keep that patient in location, keep them still, do not move them. But if the scene is not safe and that patient's at threat, then you definitely need to move that patient. So if we talk about some of the considerations uh, and that thought process of, you know, do I stay and play or do I have to move this casualty to a safe location? So that's really important to do. And this is before we've sort of done any uh, treatment algorithms. So next uh, in the algorithm is the massive hemorrhage or bleeding control. Now we're going to start this off with a blood sweep, looking for any life-threatening bleeding. And our focus is going to be on the neck, armpits, groin and extremities. And the reason being is they are a compressible bleed and that's something that we can treat and treat it really effectively. Now, if we look at our trunk, so our chest, abdomen, there's a good chance they can have some bleeding uh, on a major trauma. But there's the uh, all those big pipes, those big blood vessels are generally internable, internal and they're a non-compressible bleed. So it's very difficult for us to treat them in the pre-hospital environment. What they really need is they need a surgeon. You need to get them to hospital as quick as possible. So that's why we focus on the neck, armpits, groin and extremities. Uh, when I say neck as well, we look at uh, look at that scalp because obviously scalp can be can bleed a lot uh, and can definitely be life threatening uh, because it's so vascular. So we check the head, neck, 
armpits, groin, and extremities. So what do we do in massive hem- massive bleeding? Well, we're only going to treat, as I said, those massive bleeds, those life-threatening bleeds. So we're going to talk about arterial tourniquets on the extremities. We'll look at wound packing, so any cavity, especially when you're looking at wounds in the neck, armpits, and groin. We might look at uh, wound packing, which could include your hemostatics, like like uh, the quick clot combat gauze um, or seal locks, depending if uh, where you are. We can't really get that in Australia. Um, and it could include trauma dressings. Just remember that, you know, whilst we do talk about, you know, quick clot and tourniquets, most bleeds can be, most even sort of decent bleeds can be controlled with a really good trauma dressing applied effectively. So don't forget it's, uh, it's not just the sexy stuff. Your normal trauma dressings can stop some bleeds. And then obviously uh, for the more advanced providers, we can even look at our junctional tourniquets. So massive bleeding, only treating those life-threatening bleeds. So the next thing we're going to look at is the airways. So once we're done bleeding, we check the airway. We're going to check it for any partial or complete obstructions. During this, we also look at our uh, alertness. So we look at our AVPU or um, generally AVPU. In the initial stage, I won't do a complete GCS. I'll just look at whether they're alert or they respond to verbal pain or if they're unresponsive unconscious. Uh, Our talking and crying patients, we're going to say they have an open airway for now, but remembering depending on the mechanism of injury, they may have a uh, a ticking time bond, especially when we're looking uh, at burns. Now, if your patient's unconscious through a decreased LOC, we're going to obviously need a lot more in-depth assessment than if that patient was talking or crying. If they're talking or crying, for me, that's generally a a quick assessment um, and then I'll move on to respirations resuscitation. But if they are unconscious, then you're going to have to look at whether you're posturing them, doing uh, chin lift jaw thrusts, or you're going to look at uh, some basic interventions such as an oropharyngeal airway or nasopharyngeal airway, um, and then possibly come back at a later round and do a more advanced airway. But airway, uh, again, treat it as you find it. So if you need to do some suction, some posture, or an adjunct, then this is the time when we do it in airway. Okay, the next thing we're going to look at is where it starts to change a little bit from uh, from March. And this is when we've started to blend those traditional DRS ABCDs with our March. And it's respirations and resuscitation. So we're going to assess firstly for the uh, presence and adequacy of the patient's breathing, their respirations. Now, if they're not breathing, this is when we're going to commence resuscitation. So this is when we're going to do, start doing ventilations and, if required, starting to do CPR. If they are breathing adequately, so enough that it's going to get oxygen to the brain, then we're going to continue our respiration assessment. So we're going to look for the uh, equal rise and fall. We're going to look for penetrating chest injury. So we're going to do a rub and rake of the chest. Don't forget the back. Check under the armpits because you can still have penetration into the um, pleural cavities from those locations so a really good assessment and we're going to do tre- treatment as required for that so we can do needle decompression or you can do chest tubes finger thoracotomies whatever is in your skill set we can look at chest seals and we could look at supplemental oxygen if required so that's what we do in respiration so this is where it's a little bit different from march so we're checking for the presence and ag- adequacy of the breathing and if they're not then we're going to commence resuscitation if not, we're going to continue the algorithm. 
So next, after we've done respirations and resuscitation, we're going to look at our T's, so our trauma, temperature, and transport. And as I said, if you're an advanced provider that can carry medications and drugs, then you might throw in therapeutics in there as well. So this is when we start to slow things down. We've treated a lot of the preventable causes of death in the first uh, three uh, parts of the massive hemorrhage airways respiration resuscitation. So this is where we want to slow down, take it down a notch, make sure you take a good breath and uh, we're going to fully expose the wounds. We're going to look for any unrecognized bleeding that we may have missed um, and all those small, like smaller wounds, this is when we're going to dress them. We're going to recheck all of our interventions. So any of our tourniquets we've applied, any of the dressings we've, uh, we've applied, we want to check these to make sure they're still effective. We're going to assess the abdomen, we're going to assess the pelvis, and again, trees we find. So if you're thinking the mechanism um, or any, any sort of suspicion of pelvic fractures or injuries, we're going to bind that pelvis, splint it. Um, we're going to treat burns. We're going to treat fractures. Um, we're going to do all of that in our trauma assessment. This is when we're also going to do some vital signs. If, uh, if you've got the equipment, we're going to do a blood pressure. We're going to look at our pulses. We're going to look at our skin perfusions and our cat refills. We're going to do... Uh, our IV, our IO access, fluids, medications, anything like that. And most importantly, especially for our traumas, we're going to do, this is where we're going to man, um, manage hypothermia or prevent hypothermia uh, as well, remembering that our trauma, cold trauma patients die. So it's really important that in this part of the scenario, we're going to keep wrap our patients up nice and warm, remove any wet, bloody clothing, uh, if we've exposed them to treat them, then we're going to make sure they're wrapped up so we keep them uh, nice and warm. The next part is we're going to uh, prep that patient for transport. So whether that's an extrication to a casualty collection point or it's getting them to a winch point or just to the ambulance, we're going to prepare this casualty to be evacuated. So that is a very brief talk on our SMART primary assessment. So just going back and re sort of summarising what we've gone through, we're going to look at the scene safety and security of the whole scene, the whole incident, before we do any sort of patient contact. We're going to then look at the massive hemorrhage and the massive bleeding control. We'll look at airway, respirations, resuscitation, trauma, temperature and transport. So it's not set and forget, Remember, this is a dynamic environment, so we want to. It's a. We say it's like a flywheel, so you keep going around. So don't forget, just because you've you've mitigated the scene safety and security initially, doesn't mean there's not a risk of having. So situational awareness is really important throughout our smart primary survey. So we really hash that situational awareness in our scene safety and security. Again, remember communication. Keep talking to your partners if you're working in pairs, your team if you're working in a team, and obviously if you've got communications back to uh, control centre, then remembering those communications. As we talked about, this is a scalable process dependent on your clinical level. So if you're a, if you're a first aider, then we've got our basic smart primary assessment. If you're a critical care paramedic, then we can also ramp that up to your clinical skill set. Um, but the, the algorithm doesn't change. It's still in the, in the order that, uh, that things will kill you first.
uh, and it's both resuscitation and trauma. So unlike the uh, March, uh, unlike DRS ABCD, it's an amalgamation of both that resuscitation and trauma. So that, guys, is a very brief, less than 20 minutes talk on our new smart primary assessment. I hope you learned something from it. Uh, I would really love your feedback on what you think of that, uh, our primary assessment. If you want to learn more about our smart primary assessment, then uh, you can jump on tacmed.com.au and uh, sign up to our email list. Obviously, we've got our YouTube channel um, and we've got tons on social media. So you look at Instagram and Facebook. We're very uh, active on that. Uh, so if you would love to do a webinar or do more on Smart, we're definitely running these, incorporating them on all of our courses. So um, they can be found on tacmed.com.au, um, especially with the opening of our React Training Centre up in Brisbane. We're doing uh, doing lots and lots of courses incorporating and using the Smart methodologies. So um, thanks, guys. Thanks for listening. Uh, apologies if we've been a bit slow uh, on the old podcast during COVID times. Uh, as you can imagine, it's pretty hectic for everyone out there, especially as a, uh, as a small business. Uh, it makes it tough. So thanks for listening. Until next time, stay safe and keep learning.